the preliminary fundamental claim that God has over Israel is expressed very specifically in our theme verses for the past year or so. Jeremiah 18.6. Can I not do with you as this potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand. You remember the image. The potter shapes the clay on the wheel, and the potter decides what kind of vessel he will make. He assigns the function of the vessel. He has made us, and the mark of his craftsmanship rests on each of you. Think about that for a moment. If you're not feeling good about yourself or your ability to contribute or your situation or or who you've become, be encouraged and consider this. The mark of his craftsmanship rests on you. His thumbprints are all over you. That isn't to say that the pot can't be really messed up. The whole story of Christianity is wrapped up in this image of redeeming messed up pots. God is at work. But we wanted to decide how the pot should be made. And so we stuck our hand in and and things have sort of wobbled off axis. But God, infinitely patient, overwhelmingly loving, can restore the vessel Rethrow the clay, renew, rebuild, restore everything that has been lost or damaged. When we talk in terms of human salvation, we are saying that we have once again asked God to rebuild us, to start again, to renew us, to to wipe the slate clean if necessary and, and start at the beginning. And once he's done that, then we have a job. But the job we get is not the job of master designer. It is relinquishing quality control and trusting him to lead us in the reconstruction of these vessels of ours. This is Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, and the true text of the sermon this morning. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. If you pay attention to the wording of the passage, it seems pretty clear that Paul is indicating that we, you and I, have been called. And and I'm wondering, in what ways have we been called? When we start to think about, about calling, we affirm that for all of us, there is a universal call issued by God. Jesus articulates this in John 3, 16. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, 
but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. We've been called to new birth in Christ. And the initial part of this universal call to all humanity is simply this. You must exercise faith in Jesus Christ, who is God's son, so that you can be born anew, born of the spirit, be recreated by God. And there's a second part of the universal call. And this is the call that goes to every one of us. This is the call that we're all responsible for, the one that continually sounds generation to generation. This is the second part of the call. It's the call to maturity in faith. Everyone, Hebrews 6.1. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instructions about cleansing rites and the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Well, all those things just mentioned are the basic stuff, right? This is stuff Christians shouldn't disagree about. Things like repentance and instruction and prayer and resurrection and judgment. We shouldn't disagree about those things. Those are basic, foundational stuff. But we're called to more than basic life. We're called to maturity in Christ. What is maturity? Maturity is defined very simply in Romans 8, 29. We're predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Okay? Maturity is us more and more, day by day, by the transforming grace of the Holy Spirit, becoming more Christ-like in character. That's what holiness is about. That's what we believe. That the transforming grace of God, if we will allow the Father through his spirit to work on us, will transform us and we will be more and more like Christ every day. We should not be growing less and less like Christ. We should be growing more and more like Christ. And that is the definition of maturity for Christians. We're to grow in Christ. That's your calling. That's your goal. When I spoke last week about folks who tend to dabble, I had this process in mind. We don't want to dabble about the process about becoming mature in Christ. We want to robustly embrace the process of the transforming grace of God so that we can become more and more like Christ, which means more and more effective in the world, more loving towards our neighbor, more able to transmit the glory of the gospel to others because our lives are being lived in conformity with that gospel. All of that is maturity in Christ. We need to be serious about growing in Christ in the same way you have to be serious about any goal in life if you're actually going to achieve it. The master artist, the master potter, wants to shape you into a complete vessel that can be of service to him and to the kingdom and to the world. I am convinced, however, that there are some folks who are so continually focused on themselves, so selfish, so continually focused on their own anger or their own grudges or their own problems or their own difficulties, that it's very difficult for them to be of any use to anyone else. And I even wonder from time to time 
if some of those folks like it that way, you know, they may be thinking, you know, if I get my act together, if I forgive those people, or if I do this, people will have expectations of me. And I would rather not have the pressure, so I'll just always be a little bit of a mess so no one can rely on me and I can stay the center of attention. That's not God's call for us. His call is for maturity, which leads to increasing selflessness, not self-centered actions. But, but nothing I'm saying today is new. None of it's earth-shaking, except for the fact that perhaps I still need to say it. There is more to calling, however, than just universal calling. Some calling, some of the voice of the Holy Spirit to us is unusually and personally specific. This week I read calling stories. It's fun to do. Go online, calling stories, read the stories of people who've been called into particular services. I read the story of a minister from Hong Kong and how he happened into a Christian church one day in Hong Kong, even though his family was an idol worshiping family and how his encounter with Christ changed his life and the entire trajectory of his life. And he felt God calling him into pastoral ministry and all the things that God did in his life because one day he stepped into that Christian church and heard the voice of God to him specifically. I read the story of a guy named Roger who met an old friend in a nightclub where a conversation about God came up and how in just a few weeks after that, God began to speak to Roger and this businessman sensed God was calling him to use his business acumen to serve on a mission field and his life changed and the trajectory of everything was different. Up to that point, it had been all about Roger. And now things were different. You probably know the story that on a train ride, Mother Teresa received what she called a second calling or a call within a call. It was a call to leave her life as a teacher and to serve the poorest of the poor in the slums of Calcutta. Not only would she serve the poorest of the poor, but she would call other sisters to do the same. I read the story of Sarah, a young woman who serves a Baptist church in the South as a youth leader. She tells of the day she went to take her PSAT exams, and at the beginning of the exam, they asked some personal questions, and they asked, what careers do you think you might be interested in pursuing? And all of a sudden, true anxiety filled her life. She said, I didn't know what to write. I had no trouble with the PSAT exam, but that personal question at the beginning, it, it just brought to mind what what does God want me to do? And I hadn't really entertained the question. And God dealt with me and he spoke with me and he spoke powerfully until I finally acknowledged he was calling me to be a pastor. And it was all prompted by a silly question at the beginning of the PSAT. Some of the specific calls that we hear are vocational. In other words, they end up being what we do for a living. And we make our living and feed our family by those callings. Other of those calls, every bit as significant as the vocational ones, stand beside what we do for a living, alongside the job you do to feed your family. In my home church in Reading, Pennsylvania, 
Maud Watts was the lady who felt called to teach young children in Sunday school. For decades, she worked in the church nursery, teaching little ones to love Jesus. Bob Prince was a guy in Michigan who, who felt called while he was still working at the Ford Motor Company to help underprivileged kids in the inner city of Detroit to beat the system and attend college. That was his calling from God. When he talked about it, it, you could, it was obvious. This wasn't something that he, you know, he thought up on his own. This wasn't something that occurred to him when he saw something. This was God speaking and saying, do you see that? You can make a difference there. Louis Plank was a guy who felt called back to a little town in upstate New York where he would teach U.S. history and driver's ed. And eventually, along with his friends, plant a Nazarene church in that little town. God calls the parts of the body to work according to the task that he needs done and according to the vision he has for his kingdom. But I have a fear. My fear is what happens to the body of Christ when folks do not engage the calling they hear? And I'm concerned about the work of the kingdom not getting done. I mean, Paul tells us rather specifically, especially in the Corinthian correspondence, that, that the body has many parts, that we need all of those parts. And, and, and I'm pretty much convinced that all of the parts we need are in the body. And that if we will work together and use the gifts we've been given, that the work of the ministry will, will carry forward completely. And so then I'm wondering, if the work's not all getting done, is it because we haven't organized the people well enough to get all the body parts functioning? Or that some of the body parts are on strike, holding out for higher wages? Or some just haven't haven't really believed that God has the right to call them into service in the first place. I mean, I mean, do you believe that? Do, do you really believe that God has the right, the authority to call you into service? Is, is he the master potter or not? Does he have the right to shape your time? Or are you still singing with Frank Sinatra? I did it my way. And that never ends up well on the potter's wheel. What, what do we believe? In this church in the days ahead, we will need to reopen many ministries that have been collapsed by COVID. And you understand that we have less people in the congregation right now. There's a significant number of folks who have not returned. And so we're going to have to work together diligently if we're going to care for our kids, if we're going to care for our teens, if we're going to rebuild the type of ministries that we desire for our families. It's going to take all of us to pull together. And I'm confident that God has sovereignly given us the gifts we need to do his will in this place. But it's not going to happen if we live on autopilot. It's not going to happen if we say no to the one who's calling us. We need folks who will help care for those who are isolated, who need rides to church, who need help with ordinary tasks. What, what is your calling? How will you minister 
within the body of Christ and outside the body of Christ? Are you really willing to do the things he asks you to do or Maybe you're just unconvinced that he really has your best interests in heart, at heart, or in his mind. Maybe you're thinking, well, he has a right to call me, but that's not going to be good for me, or that's going to mess up my schedule, or, or I don't know if I have the capacity for that, or I don't know if I can perform at a high enough level to meet the expectations of people around me. And so, and so I'm just unconvinced that God has my best interests in mind. And so I'm reluctant to express calling or to step in, I would tell you, you know what? Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. If he's calling you, he'll provide for you. If, if he calls, he provisions. If he's asking you to step into service, he'll make a way for you to complete. He's not setting you up for failure. This is the God who's invested in your success. This is the God who designed you to be a blessing to the body of Christ. And so he's completely trustworthy. I'm attempting to convince you that it is in your best interest to serve him at his pleasure because he knows what service will be most pleasing to you and what the body most needs from you. So it's really important that you hear the call and you step up because you will never be at your best or achieve what is possible in your life if you live beneath the calling that God issues on you. Maybe you're just afraid of losing control of your life. Did you really think you had any? Every day. You look around and you say, oh my gracious, things are so out of control. Yeah, of course they are. But I would sing the same song to you. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. He's got you. He understands. He sees the big picture. He knows what's down the road for us. He knows how to prepare us for what's coming. I would remind you as I close this morning. That when we say Jesus is Lord, right? And remember, if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, that's the entryway to salvation for us, right? So it's the minimum requirement for Christians to confirm, to confess that Jesus is Lord. When we say Jesus is Lord, what we are saying is Jesus is my, our master, which means... I will obey Jesus as my master. I will obey Jesus as I will obey Jesus as my master. Will you honestly follow the calling you are receiving? Will you listen to his voice? Will you step up to the plate? Will you live lives worthy of the calling you have received? Will you invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you so that you know your calling and trust that he will enable you to do, to accomplish the things he is calling you to do? He's worthy of your confidence. He's worthy of your trust. 
He is Lord and master of the universe. The heavens are declaring his glory. Everything we know hangs together by his powerful word. Everything that we've seen created was created through him and by him. He is the one that we're being asked to have confidence in him, our creator, God. Worthy of our trust. Worthy of our confidence. Will we bend our knee? and name him Lord. Pray with me this morning. Heavenly Father, in this moment, we pause to listen for your voice. And with Samuel, we say, speak, Lord, your servants are listening. In the days ahead, Lord, we ask that you clarify our calling. Help us to know our areas of service. Call us into action. Help us to live lives worthy of the high calling we have received. And Lord, we're going to trust you to enable us because we don't have confidence that we can pull this out in our own strength. But our confidence is in you and our trust is in you. And so we ask for your help this morning. Speak to us today and tonight and tomorrow and enable us by your grace to be ambassadors of your gospel. For we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Most of you received letters this week with some news, and I'm going to ask Gary to reiterate uh, some of that news at this moment and to also pronounce our benediction for today. I need to take my own advice this morning. I I always tell people tears are never inappropriate. Tanya and I like to use the language um, doing life together. And for the past 14 years, um, that's what we've done here with you. We've, We've done life together. You know, I I like to think when it comes to ministry, I mean, doing life together, that's kind of our philosophy philosophy of ministry is doing life together. And I like like to think, I believe our our greatest gifts are relational. Um, And God has used those gifts in this place for the past 14 years in, in ways that we could not have imagined. We, we, we pulled into town August 19, 2007 with a three-month-old baby boy. Um, and I'm sure we had the deer in headlights look when we showed up. Didn't know um, 
what what the calling to this place was all about. We, we had just bought a home in Pennsylvania. We had siblings and parents and grandparents and family all around us in, in, in York, PA. We just got pregnant and had our first baby boy, bought our first house and getting ready to, to put down roots in Pennsylvania. And then God calls and he just made it clear and obvious to us that we were supposed to come here. We didn't understand that, but we knew <laughs> the only answer to that was, was yes. The only answer was yes. It was so hard to leave our, our immediate family, our blood, to come here. And for the first eight, 10, 12 months, it was hard, it was difficult. But within about a year, <laughs> Pastor Dan always talks about knitting the family together. Within about a year of us being here, <laughs> we grew on this place and this place grew on us and we knew God had knitted, knitted us together as a family to serve in this place for the foreseeable future. I never thought I was gonna be here 14 years, <laughs> but, 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 but God's timing is perfect. I'm reading a book um, these days by Andrew Root called The Pastor in a Secular Age, and he, he defines ministry. He defines ministry as loving and genuinely caring for another person with all of your heart. And he argues, based on a recent Gallup poll, that the, the most genuine ministers in, in, in this country are nurses. People look to nurses as those who genuinely care and concern for the well-being of their patients. And let me tell you, you have all been nurses to us for the past 14 years. You have loved us, you have embraced us, you have loved our kids as your own. I hope that's been reciprocal. I hope that's been reciprocal. We, we love this church family with all that we have and all that we are, and it, it, it's difficult it's difficult to, to leave and to say goodbye, but we just heard a fabulous message on calling. And I decided years ago that I have an eternal yes in my heart to God. Whatever that is, as difficult as that is, God has made it clear over the past five or six months that he was calling me um, to, another, to another place at this time. God has made it I can tell you story after story from housing to Christian schools for our kids to a, to a job for Tanya. I, I can tell you every single box God has checked and answered every prayer. He's made it so clear to us that, that this is his call and his timing. So last Sunday there, there was a vote <laughs> um, at the Laurel Delaware Church of the Nazarene. The vote was strong very positive um, for me to become their next lead pastor. And um, we had a long, long afternoon last Sunday, the four of us um, on the living room floor, uh, praying together and talking together. And we came to the conclusion through many, many tears that we all believed we're in agreement that this is God's will and his timing. And just to be sure I slept on it. <laughs> I didn't contact the DS till Monday, but just to be sure we slept on it. And Monday, I, I contacted the, the, the district superintendent on the Mid-Atlantic District down there and said, my, my answer is yes, we're, we're gonna accept the call, we're gonna come. 
So, so our last Sunday will be uh, two weeks from today, August 15. Um, we will pull out of town on, on August 16 and head, head south to Delaware. Um, but we are taking you with us. You will forever be in our hearts. Um, thank you for loving us so well. Um, I, I know you love Pastor Dan and Nancy and whatever additional staff, I know the board and Pastor Dan, they're gonna figure out what, what they're gonna do staffing-wise, whatever staff um, comes through MCN. I, I pray that you continue to love them as well as you have loved us. Would you stand with me? I'm gonna pronounce our benediction. from Paul's words in 1 Thessalonians 5, one of my favorite passages. Now may God himself, the God who makes everything holy and whole and complete, may he make you fit for the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Remember that the one who calls you is completely faithful and completely dependable, and he will do this. So go in his grace and his strength today. God bless you. I love you.